Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is it. The time has come. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Adam Catterall and Gareth A. Davies. You're better than that! On Talk Sport. Welcome to the Fight Night podcast. I'm Adam Catterall. It's a pleasure once again to be in your company. However, if this is the first time you've ever come across us, please hit subscribe on iTunes. You're looking for Fight Night. You'll never miss out on any of our content. We'll always turn up on a Monday morning with you with the very best guests. Uh, And if you need an Android feed, you can get it on the TalkSport website. We've got Spotify and various things on there as well. TalkSport.com is what you are looking for. Now, coming up on this uh, particular edition of the Fight Night podcast, you're going to hear from Savannah Marshall. You're going to hear from Josh Taylor. Eddie Earn will pop up as well. And we'll also hear from Lawrence McCauley. But we've also got loads of other little bits to get stuck into as well. We had a fantastic author, Brian Dugan, join us on the show at the weekend to talk about his new book, The Super Fight, Hagler versus Leonard. Not just about the fight, but about the build-up to it and the uh, the character traits of both of these guys. He's going to be on this podcast a little bit later on, but we're going to start by getting stuck into the modern-day heavyweights. Yes, that's right. Last weekend, Usyk and Chisora went at it, didn't they? We're going to give you a full breakdown and review. Our thoughts are coming up very, very shortly. We're also going to talk about Tyson Fury's upcoming fight on December the 5th. And maybe an opponent that he should have gone for over Ajit Kabayel. But we'll start by talking about White Povetkin. For those that don't know, it's off. Take a listen. A lot of people will have uh, already heard the news this week on TalkSport uh, that Alexander Povetkin has sadly... uh, uh, found himself with COVID-19. He's in hospital being treated for that at the moment. So therefore, the rematch on November the 21st is off. Uh, rescheduled for January, the back end of January there, which gives uh, both men a couple of extra months uh, to get themselves fit and ready to rock and roll uh, for that rematch showdown. And I don't know how you feel about this, Gareth, but my initial thoughts when I heard the news was a bit of relief because I thought November the 21st was a touch too early for Dillian White. He will tell me otherwise. I have no doubt about that. Uh, but for me, when you get knocked out in the state that he did get knocked out in Eddie's back garden on those fantastic nights in fight camp, I just thought the turnaround was a little bit too quick. I'm glad that he's going to get the extra eight weeks just to have a little bit of extra time, maybe even some time off, and then he can get himself back in the gym and get himself all fired up and ready to go at the start of 2021. Oh, no, I agree with that. But I, we did have him on the show last week, um, you know, uh, and you weren't around. And Dillian mm. was very lucid from Portugal and, and seemed really ready for it. Obviously, it was a couple of days before uh, the revelation that uh, Sasha Povetkin had tested positive for COVID-19, Adam. But I completely agree with you. That 
amount of time going into the new year will just buy him time for the body to have a rest again and then to head back over to Portugal. Mm. Look, I think it's a fight he can win. Um, and I think it's a fight he can win well. It's a fight he was winning really well. And I don't think he's going to be hit again by a punch like that. It was it was brought to light. It was underlined. Um, it, you know, he was, he was caught by Oscar Rivas on the ropes in a similar way. He was caught by Anthony Joshua in a similar way. You know... I don't think Dillian's going to make that same mistake. And he was alluding to that when, when Conor Ben and myself spoke to him last week live on the show, um, kind of in the throes of... In fact, I think he was predicting, actually, that Derek would do well against uh, Alexander Usyk. It was just before the fight uh, last week. But the, but the key is with Dillian, um, he's not dented. You know, he's, he's, he's damaged, he's dented, but not truly traumatised by it. And I think that's a great attitude. I think he bounces back. The mm. problem he's got, Adam, is, and, and, and you, you'll, you'll appreciate this, it's where, where he goes next year with what we expect to happen if Anthony Joshua mm. and Tyson Fury both win on December the 5th and December the 12th, mm. you know? I, yeah, well, exactly. And, and because of that, I wasn't too surprised to see his promoter, Reddy Hearn, obviously throw his tweet out this week about Fury, White and all that type of thing, saying that they would be up for taking a fight with uh, Tyson Fury on December the 5th. Because I genuinely believe that no matter what happens uh, with Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin, he's at least 18 months away mm. uh, from getting himself a shot at a, at a world title. Because, fingers crossed, we're going to get Fury AJ. Fury AJ2, that's going to take at least 12 months to, to, to play out. And therefore, mm. the runners and riders of this division aren't really going to get their shot unless politics comes in and the WBO stick their oar in. And we, we have Alexander Usyk, obviously, um, fighting for that title at some point. You never know. There might be an avenue there. But I just think that Dillian White's about 18 months away. So I wasn't surprised to see uh, Eddie Hearn chirp up saying, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll take the, the, the Fury fight, even though he knew full well, we knew full well, that there was no chance whatsoever that that fight would be made on that particular short period of notice. So I'm quite happy that they haven't rushed anything. I know that Derek Chisora chirped up this week as well. And I kind of like that from Derek, you know. Um, I know that he, he, he went 12 rounds with Alexander mm. Rusic, but I kind of like his attitude. Not the fact that I wasn't overly excited about the fight itself. I love the attitude. That's what I want from my fighters. I want them to be game. I want them to say any any guy, any place, anywhere. I want them to show willing. I love what Derek did last week where he said, listen, I'll step in. I'll fight Dillian White on two weeks' notice. No problem whatsoever. I have no need, really, to see White Chisora 3. But on two weeks' notice, I was going to be okay with it. However, with a little bit of hindsight and with the dust settling on it, I'm kind of happy that it's not happening just for Dillian White's sake, just to have that extra eight weeks to get himself back on track and get himself fully refreshed. Uh, absolutely right. And look, you, you're spot on. I'm... Eddie Hearn had to throw his tweets out of the pram, if that's that's the wrong expression, really. But he had to throw his tweets out of there. Um, you know, I, I saw Eddie and Barry Hearn in the week, and as I said, and, you know, I talked to him about it, and, and he was saying, look, we need to do these things in this time and just make these suggestions because... You never know what people are going to say. You never know what Tyson Fury might have said. Yeah, I'll, I'll bash Dillian White up. It's fine. I'll do it. I'll just do it. Um, it depends what mood Tyson Fury, Tyson Fury is in. And, you know, I, th I think I would like to see that fight. I do hope we get to see it. But I do think if Tyson Fury um, does defeat Anthony Joshua once or maybe twice, 
Um, I don't. I'm not so sure we're going to see him fight anyone else again. He, I don't think he's got an awful lot more to to prove in the heavyweight division. And yeah, if he has two, yeah. And if he has two fights with Anthony Joshua, and and I've said all along, my view is that there will be a fight in Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. in in April May next year because you know you, you're you're looking at a sixty million to a hundred million site fee, um, you know. And a big, big pay-per-view like we've never seen before in the UK. And, and you know, and all the revenue that will come in, the fighters are going to earn, I think, minimum 60 million each for that fight. Minimum 60 million. It could even go as high as 100 million each. It is a massive fight. And, you know, if those guys have two and they have the second one at Wembley Stadium late in the summer and when, you know, the country's hopefully kind of um, able to, to amass again in large crowds, Adam, you know, these two guys, both of them are going to wonder about where they really need to fight again because they're going to have so much money and, and the legacy of the era will have been completed. Unless Tyson Fury wants to hang around for the likes of Daniel Dubois if he emerges as the, as the next strong contender, you know, or the, or the next strong champion, then I don't... I do think it might be the end of the road for Tyson Fury next year. I can see him walking away. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. I don't think there's anything after the Joshua, uh, that, like you just said, the climax of this particular era. I think after that, I don't think there's anything left um, for for him to complete. He's he's absolutely clocked the game, hasn't he? <laughs> Talking about last week's performance where Alexander Usyk uh, came through, won over a 12-round period got the decision against Derek Chisora. I don't know about you, Gareth. I know you were on the radio last week. It's very difficult to score fights when you're on the radio and, uh, and watching a fight uh, whilst trying to conduct a radio <laughs> programme. Um, but I'm sure you've gone back and watched it. I mean, I personally scored it 116-112 in favour of Usyk. I thought he, he comfortably won eight of the rounds. I understand that Derek was most certainly aggressive. It was very bull matador type mm, of fight for mm, me. Mm. Um, and I did come away from it slightly disappointed, I'm going to be honest, because I expected... At a certain point in this fight, Alexander Rusik to dig his toes into the canvas and, and have a real good go at Derek Chisora. And that's, you know, that's no disrespect to Derek. I know what I'm getting with him. I know he's going to be game. I know he was in unbelievable shape and he did keep coming forward. But I just thought that between maybe six and ten, Alexander, especially when he stung him in the seventh round, I thought, right, here we go. Put your foot down and let's see what you're all about at heavyweight. And he never really went uh, to those levels. And I've, um, I have I wouldn't be surprised if we listen to Tyson in a moment and he's not really overly enamoured with it because I can't see now Alexander Rusik. I mean, I know he's got ambitions to become the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. That's only happening if Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury retire before he gets that opportunity because I can't see him beating either of those guys at this moment. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I think there's reasons for that. You know, I think, um, yeah, you're going to get a special one from Tyson Fury in a minute, believe me. Um, the... the, the Here's the thing, and and um, I, I felt that what we needed to see in this fight uh, from Alexander Usyk was some power, um, mm-hmm. some power at heavyweight. Obviously, the ability to to hang with these big guys. You know, Derek Chisora was for for anyone listening. Derek Chisora uh, was three stone heavier. Yeah. Than, than Alexander Usyk, you know, 40 pounds heavier than him. Um, Alexander Usyk, for those who've been under a rock for the last three years, is the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world and st- has stepped up to the heavyweight division, has been given a mantle by the World Boxing Organization as their mandatory challenger without really proving anything at heavyweight. So, you know, and he was a brilliant, brilliant cruiserweight. David Hayes done it before him. Um, and the great Evander Holyfield. David Hay was great as well. I, I must include him in that. They were both brilliant cruiserweights who stepped up to win world titles at heavyweight. The problem, as you rightly say, the two champions incumbent right now are too big for him. We did not see 
especially in that seventh round when Derek was hurt, we did not see the explosive power from or one-punch knockout power even that Alexander Usyk probably needs against the very biggest men in the division. Plus... Um, the Dillian Whites and, and the, some of the others, even Joseph Parker. He's he's going to outbox people. He, he's yeah. a brilliant mover. He's fantastically agile. I agree with you. It was 7-5 or 8-4 in rounds in my view. He won it clearly. There, there was no dispute about it. That was David Hay we heard yeah. just now speaking to us last week on the show just after the fight. Simon Jordan, though, I've got to pick a bone of Simon, and he's a friend of mine, you know, and a friend of the, of the show and a friend of the station. But I thought he was completely out of order last week, hammering Derek Chisora. And Simon's a very knowledgeable boxing guy, and that's what surprised me. Derek Chisora went 12 rounds with Vitaly Klitschko mm-hmm. uh, in Munich uh, in, in, in um, I think it was uh, January or February 2012. He is a brilliant heavyweight. He said he'd, Simon was claiming that... Derek Chisora had been roundly beaten twice by Dillian White. I had Derek beating Dillian in that first fight by a round, and a lot of people did. He's not short of elite level. He's he's very, very close to it. And you can pick a football side, can't you, that you know can get to finals and not win. It doesn't mean they're not elite. Derek Chisora is an elite heavyweight. There's no doubt about it in my mind. And I thought, especially in a sport where... You know, and, and and a few days after he'd fought Usyk, where Usyk outboxed him, he didn't beat the hell out of him. Um, I thought he was very, very unfair to Derek. And you know, Simon's a guy with a lot of opinions, and and most of them are amazing. But I thought he was wrong to hammer Derek Chisora on air the other day. Really, really wrong. Because when a fighter's lost like that, when he's put everything into it, and David Hay was there like the ringmaster in the build-up to that fight, Derek Chisora put everything on the line for that fight, put everything into building. And you know what? He He's hurting. Don't knock a guy when he's down like that. There's no need for it. Hmm. Um, should we get Tyson Fury's opinion? Should we get on Simon Jordan in right now? <laughs> Let, let's get Tyson Fury's opinion on uh, Alexander Usyk because, as I said, I came away from it slightly disappointed. I expected a little bit more from Alexander Usyk. I think he's just going to fall short when it comes to the, uh, the Furies and the Anthony Joshuas. I might be completely wrong, uh, but let's get... Uh, the WBC heavyweight champion of the world's thought process. This is a conversation that he had uh, with Gareth a little earlier on this week. Did we see the best Alexander Rusek? I'm not sure. Did we see the best Alexander Rusek at heavyweight? I don't know. Mm. But um, on, on that performance, I can I can say that none of the, none of the top 15 heavyweights out there are, uh, are sweating Alexander Rusek at the moment, unfortunately. None, none of us are quaking. None of us are like, is that it? Everyone's like, okay. Is that what all the hype was about? It is what it is. This is a heavyweight game. And heavyweights ain't like they were years ago. And Chisora is probably the smallest heavyweight out there. Mm. Being brutally honest, I think when he fights a big heavyweight, he can punch a bit. I think he'd be like a lamb to slaughter. My takeaway for, for what it's worth to you is that I thought you could feel Usyk going through the first four rounds, you could feel him thinking, wow, I really am in here with a much heavier man. Um, yeah. Those three rounds, you could see it on his face, you could see it in his, in, his, in his body posture. But I know he's a slow starter and he likes to think his way into a fight. It's that Eastern European style that he and Lomachenko both do. Um, he had Derek Hurt in the seventh, I thought, you know, and, um, you know, probably should have tried to get him out of there. But I think... A lot had been taken out of his body by then. He's a great mover. I think he could survive against big heavyweights. Maybe. I don't think he's got the single explosive power that he needs to, to put the big heavyweights on the back foot. That's my view, you know? 
Yeah, listen, it's a uh, valid point. I just, I, uh, my my opinion of it is, you know, it's the heavyweight division and not the cruiserweight division for a reason. Mm. But I understand, look, all cruiserweights who do well want to step up to heavyweight to get that big money. They all want a piece of the pie. But there's divisions for reasons. And, and me personally, I think if he steps up, I don't, after his last performance, I thought, I obviously thought he was better than he was. Because I, I highly rated Alexander Rusek as a master technician, as the cruiserweight. Mm. But at heavyweight, it's, uh, there was nothing to, that impressed me, to be fair. Um, Tyson Fury there, catching up uh, with Gareth. The full conversation, by the way, is on um, Gareth's YouTube channel. Make sure you go and check it out. I just wanted to highlight that particular piece uh, on Alexander Usyk. And I agree with everything that Tyson's saying there. Bar the top 15 thing, I think Alexander Usyk hangs with, with the majority of that top 15. I think there might be three, four guys that would, get, would ask him a lot more questions than the others. Obviously, Tyson Fury being one of them, he's just six foot nine, and uh, I think he would uh, comfortably uh, deal with the likes of uh, Alexander Usyk. But one th- again, what I would like to reiterate on this, and, and I think Tyson was alluding to it there a touch, after watching him in the cruiserweight division, Usyk on the road against all these killers, he went in everybody's back garden and he smashed them all to bits, outboxed some of them, smashed them all, did whatever he needed to do and become the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. His footwork, his technique, everything about him was absolutely mustard. And I had it in my head that he would be... Tyson Fury would always be too much for him, but I honestly believed that that he could, he could compete with Anthony Joshua and maybe even beat Anthony Joshua. But watching him at the weekend against Derek Chisora, that, has kinda, that thought process has gone away from my mind a little bit now because I just think Anthony Joshua hits too hard, he's too big, and once he does sniff a little bit of blood, Anthony Joshua, he's great at taking people out. There's no question about that. Um, and Usyk just needs to commit. You're right in what you were saying there. There was an opportunity in the seventh round, I think, against mm, Derek to, to commit and go for it. And he didn't do that. And I don't know whether it's because he was worried about what was coming back, but because he didn't do it, it's left. It's given me more questions than I had answers from the weekend. Yeah, definitely. Like you say, I mean, you, you've said it two or three times now, disappointed. And I'm not so much disappointed as I think we found something out. And look, I think I've, I've made the point, Tyson Fury made the point when I spoke to him in this long interview that, 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 that it is about styles. I mean, Eddie Hearn um, concurred on that as well because... Um, diff- uh, he's so capable, Usyk, of transforming his style. We've sta- we've seen him stand toe to toe with people yeah. and bash people up at some uh, cruiserweight. Um, we saw it against Tony Bellew. Tony Bellew was winning on points for me anyway in that fight before he was knocked out midway through the or seventh, sixth or seventh round in, in that fight in Liverpool. That brilliant night um, when he finished in the cruiserweight division. But I'm looking at the list here, Ed, of, of the biggest and best heavyweights. Deontay Wilder and Alexander Usyk is a very very interesting. Fight. I know we're yeah. going to talk about Deontay later on. Um, uh, Luis Ortiz and Alexander Usyk is an interesting fight. I think he wins that. Uh, I'm talking about Usyk now. Yeah, I yeah. think I think Usyk can beat Andy Ruiz. I think I think he might have similar problems against Dillian White that he has that he had against uh, Derek Chisora. Might be pushed further to the Agreed. wire. Joseph Parker is a shootout. Uh, not a shootout. Is it is a fifty fifty boxing Just match? That is a great. Fight. It is very interesting. I think it's a chess match in lots of ways. You know, both both very both patient fast. fights. Daniel. Hey, what about this one, right? Um, and we haven't talked about the two big men yet. Daniel Dubois or Joe Joyce against Alexander Usyk? It's a great fight. I mean, he's had, obviously, a history with Joe Joyce, hasn't he, in the, in yeah. the amateurs. Daniel Dubois is supposed to be the next big thing. I mean, that is an unbelievable fight, I think. Can you Alexander imagine? But can you, but can you imagine 
Alexander Usyk going 12 rounds with Daniel Dubois, even now. I don't... I mean, I know, he's very, very inexperienced, and people will poo-poo me right now saying that Daniel Dynamite Dubois has not done enough. But, you know, it's, 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 it's the size of these people as well. Yeah. And they, they, they only need to have, you know, a semblance of the same boxing ability as Usyk. Um, and I just think there's, there's there's trouble there. I think he'll have a short, <clears throat> excuse me, a short, um, but um, top of the division shot at heavyweight. I don't mm. think there's a long career. Look at David Hay. Um, I but, think he needs. I think he needs the boxing politics just to work in his favour a yeah, little bit here. Exactly. He's yeah, not going to become yeah. undisputed champion. But if the WBR maybe force the issue, and we as as people who work in this sport, and most certainly as fans, we want Fury AJ. We don't want anything to get in the way of that. I'm prepared to sacrifice undisputed heavyweight champion in the world if the WBO belt is not on the line. I'm happy with it. Just make the fight. I need to see Fury AJ, and that might be the way then for Usyk to become heavyweight champion. Yeah, exactly. That's a very good point, Ed. And and you know we may even see that. Because the point, when if both men, if Fury and uh, Joshua both win on on December the fifth and December the twelfth, where and you know, mm. um, at the Royal Albert Hall and um, and Wembley Arena, we don't we don't even need any belts on the line, frankly, no, because I agree. it is for the undisputed title. We all know. We, just, we know who's number one. Exactly, we know who's number two. We, Let's exactly. Go. We just need those two guys to go and fight. And as we said at the top of the show. They they may not fight much again afterwards. They they may not need to, you know. So, um, you know, there, there's a point. Fighters make the belts, and there's a point when the belts become irrelevant. Floyd Mayweather didn't need belts in the end. It was Floyd Mayweather, and I think we're getting to that stage with these two guys in the division, you know. And, mm. and like you say, if Usyk hangs around long enough, and he's clever enough and careful enough, and they match him cleverly because if he takes a proper beating at heavyweight not just knocked out if he takes a proper beating i don't i think he'll be finished in the division we have to obviously then make reference to um the trilogy with uh, deontay uh, deontay wilder falling off and the video that deontay wilder put out this time mm. last week well last sunday it was wasn't it when it hit uh, when it hit the internet now we've obviously we've seen the rumors and we've seen the fans talking about crazy excuses that have been made in the aftermath of the defeat back in February to Tyson Fury. We've been we've 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 heard people talk about the glove situation. We've heard people talk about the suit situation. We've talked about all different aspects of excuses, but I don't think we've seen it coming out of Deontay Wilder's mouth. We did last weekend. And my overriding thought, Gareth, and I don't know where you're at with this, is that Deontay Wilder needs some good people around him. He's got, obviously, a lot of yes people that are filling his head with absolute nonsense. He's in total denial of the situation of what actually happened on that particular night. To be throwing the likes of Mark Brellen under the bus, I think he's absolutely ludicrous. To be, obviously, throwing the referee under the bus, again, absolutely ludicrous. He has got himself into a right state with this, and I personally think that he needs some proper help. He needs a bit of a rest. And he needs some good people around him to say, listen, man, what are you doing? <clears throat> what are you doing saying the things that you are saying right now? It's not a good look. I think the handling of this defeat has been an absolute PR disaster. Um, and I just hope that he can get the good people around him and he can get some good help because I would love to see him fight again because we've spent some wonderful times with Deontay Wilder. He's been on our show on several occasions. He comes across as a top guy, tells some wonderful tales. Um and I want to. I want him to get back into that space. But right now, he seems a million miles away from it. Yeah, I mean, 
Tyson Fury once said to me when he, um, in fact, to a group of us, when just before he was fighting Vladimir Klitschko um, five years ago, no one has the right to mooch around in my head. Yeah. And, you know, we're dealing, you know, we, we see these people day in, day out, Adam, you know, in, in the work we do. And, you know, fighters are, are very different people. It's a calling what they do. And I think they go through difficult times sometimes when mentally or emotionally they, they might have felt they've dealt with their loss and then it comes back to haunt them emotionally when maybe they don't get the chance to 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 put the record straight or to tell their story properly and I do think a lot of things have got confused here I mean I I've spoken to some of Wilder's back team as support staff this week I mean I can't quote them on record but um you know I think I think what what I think what Deontay Wilder. I mean, I don't agree with a lot of these reasons he's been given. I know we're going to hear from Tyson from this interview I did with him that's not come out in full yet. But I think he feels a bit let down um, that that he's not getting the trilogy fight with Tyson Fury because um, I was reminded by his people this week that when Tyson Fury wasn't feeling well mentally, um, Deontay Wilder did put messages out there saying saying to him, get well, come back and fight me, I'll give you the opportunity. And he did the second time as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think he feels a bit hard done by, and I do think it's important, you know, I mean, I said myself it felt like John Tay Wilder had taken a Halloween pill last weekend, you know. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable some of the things he was coming out with. But he gave Tyson Fury the opportunity twice. Um, we all feel that Tyson Fury won that, or many of us feel that Tyson won that first controversial draw, yeah. but he did give Tyson an opportunity. And unfortunately, that ship is now sailing, and I think he's feeling it. Because we, as we've mentioned a million times on this show, and we will repeat again, we all want to see Tyson Fury against um, Anthony Joshua. Mm-hmm. So in in a way, he's like the jilted lover of the heavyweight division, isn't he? He's the guy that no one wants at the moment. And I think that's what we've seen. I think... You know, and, and like you say, and, and it skewed him a little bit. The screw has got a little bit looser, as it does in all fighters at some points. Mm. Which, listen, you, you can't excuse, well, you, you can't blame Tyson Fury for wanting to move on. It's his career. He, want, he wants to obviously crack on with it. And with the trilogy not happening, he wants to fight and he wants to, he wants to get cracking and push forward towards uh, the Anthony Joshua fight. Personally, uh, we've discussed this off air, didn't we? And I'm sure we can discuss this right now. We both, I'm of the opinion... Um, that he doesn't necessarily need to fight Tyson Fury, but if he feels that he needs to fight in order uh, for his own mental health or whatever it may be to get himself back into the rhythm of what he managed to uh, accomplish by February of earlier this year, then cool, let's get in there. But I don't agree with a WBC heavyweight champion of the world, and in my opinion, the best heavyweight on the planet. I don't agree with... Uh, a person of that stature having tick over fights, having keep busy fights. There's plenty of top talent out there for me that Tyson Fury could fight. I'm looking at Ajit Kabayel, and don't mm. get me wrong, the lad's got a decent record. I'm looking at the guys that he's fought. They're all of European level at the very, very highest. This is massive step up for uh, uh, Ajit Kabayel, and I fully anticipate Tyson Fury. It's going to be one of those nights where maybe Tyson lowers his standard because this is what sometimes he does when he fights someone that's well beneath him. Um, the, the levels do sink a little bit because 
the motivation's not there. The jeopardy's not there for him as it would be for a Wilder or an Anthony Joshua type of fight. I personally would have liked to have seen him in with a better calibre. Uh, or like Oscar Rivas or, or, um, or a Hunter. Well, Rivas Michael is eight Hunter. with. There yeah, Hunter's Hunter, 10. Perfect. Yeah, t- Hunter's 10 with it. With, as we, you know, you, you, you rightly pointed to that earlier on. You know, um, Michael Hunter at 10. You know, Oscar Rivas is eight with the World Boxing Council. Um, no, you know, that, that level, perfect. That, that, mm, that, that, mm. That's, but I just think, I look at Cabriel and I just think. I don't see what the point is for the best fighter on the planet to be fighting him. I really don't. I, I completely understand. But, you know, I, I, I'll remind you and all our listeners that boxing is a sport, but professional boxing is also a business. And mm-hmm. they're looking at those two huge fights next year, probably worth three or four hundred million pounds in total if, if both fights go ahead. You know, I mean, and, and that's the bottom line. You know, it's a it's a keeping warm fight. It's a, it's a, it's a ticking over fight, whether we like it or not. And... If Anthony, if, Anthony, if Anthony Joshua announces Ajit Kabiel, he would get so much abuse on social media, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would. He he, he would he would get abuse on on social media. Um, and you know, it, look if he look. By the way, um, you know Charles Martin is number two in the IBF at the moment, so he could end up fighting him again. By the way, mm. you know, <laughs> if he, yeah, no, but there you go, and yeah, yeah, yeah. he could get stick for that. So I mean, <laughs> it, it's. It, you know, the the, the 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 best fighting the best is what we want to see. Of course, and, of course. And, and you make the no, Adam. You're absolutely right in the point you're making. But unfortunately, boxing isn't run that way. You know, and that's why we, you know, we get head over heels drunk in love with the great fights being made because, you know, the, the, in between times there are some bummer the bummer the month fights. And, and that's, <laughs> That's what they were famously called. Joe Lewis used to fight the bum of the month, and that's what it was called. So there you go. That's all the heavyweight chat. There's uh, a lot of heavyweight guests coming your way in a minute, but first of all, the big story of the week, I suppose, was Canelo and his breakaway from DAZN and Golden Boy Promotions. Could this be now um, the caveat to other top names in the world of boxing doing the exact same thing going promoterless and managing themselves here's the conversation Canelo Alvarez is a free agent after parting ways uh, with his broadcaster the zone uh, and his promoter Golden Boy Promotions uh, Eddie Reynoso his manager has uh, claimed all this and uh, obviously since that the zone have come out they've made their statement Golden Boy Promotions have made their statement have wished uh, Canelo well in his future endeavours. And already they're talking about a fight for December the 19th against Caleb Plant unifying uh, the super middleweight division. Big news. Probably the biggest news that we've had over the last seven days uh, in the world of boxing. Because for those that don't know, uh, DAZN splashed out an awful lot of money um, on signing exclusively uh, Canelo Alvarez to their channel. He's had three fights with them. Rocky Fielding, uh, Daniel Jacobs, and obviously stepping up to light heavyweight against uh, Kovalev. Won them all, of course. Um, and he's uh, average, getting paid about $35 million a fight because the whole deal was worth $350 million. He was suing them for the best part of $280 million. I'm led to believe that all that has been washed away. He's walked away from the deal. They've walked away from the deal, and everybody's free to move forward. Mm. It is big, big news, Gareth. And I, I for one, I'm kind of happy that this <laughs> And the reason that I'm happy for it is when you're a superstar to the to the size of of someone like a Canelo, I don't think you need a promoter, and I don't think you need to be aligned to a particular television channel. 
What I think this now does, it frees Canelo up to set up his own promotion company, to manage himself, to do his own thing. And I hope that that's what he's going to do. I hope he doesn't align with somebody else. I hope he does his own thing. Um, and if he wants to be earning the type of money that DAZN were throwing at him, the likes of the 30 and the $35 million a fight, then what he needs to do is obviously make the top fights. And if he is the, the sole promoter and the sole person responsible for navigating his career now, can go and make the top fights, I am sure that the broadcasters in America and around the world will throw money at him for fun. If he's fighting someone like a Billy Joe Saunders, do you think Sky aren't going to try and buy it or ESPN aren't going to try and buy it? Mm. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful move for him. And it's a wonderful move for boxing because he is the main man. He is the biggest star in the sport. And hopefully now we get to see him taking on the very, very best in the divisions that he competes in. Yeah, and, and, and the, that there'll be no delays to the fights. You know, for, for, for those wanting the conversion, it's £278 million pounds that, that deal with DAZN. Look, he's going to fight on DAZN. He's going to fight on, like you say, whatever he, wherever he wants to fight. The, I mean, the strains of that Mexican song, the joy and the delight in it, was the man singing that he's a free agent because he knows he'll earn £60, £70 million a fight now. He's the, it's, it's a weird thing to say but even though he's not a heavyweight he is the biggest star in boxing no he's, doubt he's yeah. the most watched boxer 30 million mexicans watch him every time he fights um he's an extraordinary star and it's been one of the one of the worst kept secrets in boxing for well over a couple of years that there has been a terrible schism between um, Golden Boy Promotions and the Reynosos, who've coached um, Young Canelo. Oh, he's not Young Canelo anymore, is he? But um, Redhead Canelo for a very long time. And, you know, they manage him as well. And I think there's been that struggle. And I think the COVID situation and DAZN not wanting to pay, you know, $35 million a fight because they can't get an audio, they can't get a huge gate. Every fight he has is a sellout. They want the Golovkin, they wanted the Golovkin fight as soon as possible, I understand. Um, and I think we, we may now see him still have a DAZN fight with Golovkin, um, or you never know, it could be done with Eddie Hearn. I wonder whether Eddie Hearn will step in now and do a deal with the, the Canelo company, if you like, um, but it, but it, you know, it's gone very sour because it, when you think that that DAZN in America built their platform on Eddie Hearn America, or sorry, Matchroom USA, or Eddie Hearn America, it's the same thing, um, um, and Golden Boy in America, that was their platform to begin with, and Golden Boy in boxing, bring, yeah, in boxing, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah in, just in boxing, of course, um, you know, there's multiple other sports, but the the, the that that was their route in to creating a great schedule for the year, um, for each year. It's not there anymore now. So no. so where it leaves Golden Boy and DAZN is, is, is a very interesting question as well. And where it leaves Golden Boy, because Canelo wasn't just the linchpin. He almost was their stable. Ryan yeah. Garcia is still there, of course. Mm. We You know, we haven't mentioned him tonight. They've got uh, Virgil Ortiz and Ryan Garcia, but yeah, they're not they, superstars to the, to the no, extent No, not Canelo. at all yet. They're, no, Ryan Garcia is still an in, Instagram st superstar. Yeah. He's got to beat Luke Campbell first in a fascinating fight that's coming up on, was it December the 12th? Is it fifth December the fifth on the Tyson yeah, yeah. Fury uh, night with with us? I think we're going to be with Tyson Fury actually. Hopefully that night um, in the UK. Yeah. Um, so you know we'll be watching that later on in the evening. Um, you know, 
Canelo is an extraordinary star again. I mean, I'm going to wax lyrical now about this guy. He's so modest. He's so humble. He lives for the sport. He rides his horses under the stars and goes cooking out in the wild, he told me, with his friends between fights. They I just want to, I just want to say, the, you know. I just want to say at this point, that for people listening to this, this is first-hand experience because you you've been, you've been... We've been adding horses together. Well, you, you've been one of the guys that has actually <laughs> got off their backside and flown around the world, like over to Mexico, over to his, his camps in California, and spent proper time with him. I know that, obviously, you, you speak uh, the language, so therefore the conversations that you have with him, you, you, you've built up a nice little relationship there over a period of time of covering his fight. So the th- I just wanted people to, who were listening to this to understand that you're not just guessing at what this guy's like you've you've been in these camps and you've spent time with him no he's very humorous as well i mean the last time i saw him was in a camp in san diego um flew in specially to a photo shoot with it with a lady i'm doing a book with sonia jasinski brilliant photographer and we're doing um a big big book on on the main boxers promoters and protagonists in the sport in this epoch and they were brilliant to to have us into that camp and he you know, he's, he's, he's just an extraordinary character, Adam. You know, I, I mean, I go back to the days of him fighting Floyd Mayweather. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who only lost to Floyd Mayweather, you yeah. know? And he I was mean, very young at that point. Very was he 21, 22 but, years of age when that know, happened? Exactly. You know, and he, he's got... He's got, you know, he's the, he's the, I think it's the, he's the sixth or the seventh of six or seven boxing brothers. Yeah. They've, they, they've appeared on the same card in Jalisco, um, Guadalajara, Mexico, together. <laughs> I'm only rolling my R's, so yes, stop it. And I'm hot in my hotas. Just, just on um, this, on what he's got, what, what he's about to do now. And I, I envisage him doing Canelo promotions and doing his own thing, very similar to what Floyd did when Floyd broke away from his promotional deals and what have you, and managed himself. Can you see other? top names doing something similar to this, not having a promoter, managing themselves, the likes of Tyson Fury, the likes of Anthony Joshua, the biggest names, the guys that are earning the multi-millions. Can you see that happening? Definitely. Definitely. And Devin Haney, he's already a promoter, Devin Haney, remember? He made himself a promoter at the age of 19. You know, he couldn't get a licence at the age of 16. So him and his dad head down to Mexico, cross the border and fight men for four years in the back kind of bars of, in, in the back rooms of taverns. And you've got these kind of 30-year-old men trying to, men trying to knock, Mexican men trying to knock his head off and not one of them can take him apart. He decides to come back to America age 19 and uh, makes himself a promoter. He's got a promoter's license. That's the way to go. That's the way they've seen it. Um, you know, that's what Floyd Mayweather did for so many... Amir Khan had his own promotional company. Yeah. Frotch did in the... Carl Frotch did in the end. Manny Pacquiao's got it. When you get big enough, when you know enough people will watch you where you can t- take the cut you deserve because yeah. you're the gladiator, you're the one fighting for freedom and legacy for your family for generations and generations, go do it. It's a business transaction at the end of the day and your life's on the line when you fight. There you go. A conversation about the current Ring Magazine pound for pound number one fighter in the world. Nice how I've done that. The segue into this next section, seamless. That's what we do here on Fight Night because the first Scotsman has been uh, inducted into that top 10 pound for pound list this week. Josh Taylor hit number nine spot. I'd just like to point out that the Ring Magazine pound for pound list only started in 1989, but he's the first Scot to feature on that list and he joined us on the show to talk about it. Pound for pound, top 10. How does that feel? Yeah, I mean, it's, 
you know, seeing my name in amongst uh, these fighters and and now being now being mentioned, you know, um, with the recognition that I think I, I deserve, I've been deserving of the risk king the recognition for a while. A little thing, yeah. I think. Um, you know, so it's good to finally get the recognition from people now, and and uh, you know, and finally getting recognised as a real top fighter. You know, and and uh, yeah, getting the the kind of recognition that I, I believe I deserve. So yeah, it's real nice. And you know, when I when I saw the the rankings the other day, um, it was good to to see my name in there. You know, and uh, you know, a little sense of a feeling of pride. You know, and a wee sense of achievement, and uh, you know, especially being the first Scotsman involved in it as well, you know. So, yeah, it's a, another little piece of history to be made. And, yeah, I'm very happy with myself, very pleased, you know. There's, a, there's only one place in in that top ten that we can go now, my man, when we start to uh, unify and become undisputed champions of that of that super lightweight division. Yeah, that's it. The only way is up, baby. The only way is up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, and to be honest, though, like, you know, I've always said that, you know, all that, like, sort of the pound-for-pound pound rankings and this and that, it, it really doesn't bother me at all really you know but it is nice hearing you know getting the recognition that I think I deserve you know you know, mm-hmm. especially given my last you know four or five fights you know I've been very the world class operators you know at the top of the game and I've only had 17 fights I'm very well decorated you know and so I just I, I do believe that you know it is nice finally getting the recognition that I deserve well, well, I yeah. never lost any people for it before, you know, so it's it nice, though. It is nice. Yeah, sorry, Josh, didn't mean to interrupt you, but what, one of the things that people must uh, know out there is that in your last five fights, this is one of the reasons why you're in that top pound-for-pound pound list. Um, and you're, I mean, you're ahead of Gennady Golovkin right now. I mean, that is huge. Um, your last five opponents before you fought them, their records collectively were 110 victories and one loss. So it's those kind of details. You know, I work for The Ring magazine as well. It's those kind of details that we look at when you put those kind of things across. It's because of the excellence that you've shown. But you need to get better and bigger and bigger now because you're representing your country. Ken Buchanan would have been in that list all those years ago if the pound for pound rankings of the ring existed then but you are the greatest Scottish boxer since that guy Ken Buchanan who fought the very best in the same kind of in the same area the kind of similar divisions at lightweight and around there so it you know we know I mean I've spoken to Ben about this Ben Davison who trained Tyson Fury Ben said to me after you knocked out um, Appinsung in in a round with a body shot Mm. that the world is this guy's Sorry, that this guy, the sky is this guy's limit. Literally, you could go to the top of the pound for pound list. Do you know that you have that capability inside yourself? Yeah, 100%. I've always said to myself that I believe I can go to the very top of the game. You know, I'm not one for shouting my mouth off and saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm this and I'm that. I really actually like the way that I've come up and. Um, stamped my name on on the world scene. I've done it kind of under the radar and uh, come up and sort of shocked everyone. And I, and I like it like that, you know. It's, um, um, I've not put any pressure on myself. I've just been quietly confident and, um, you know, and believed in myself all, all, all these years, you know. So now people are finally sort of coming around to saying, oh, this guy, this guy can really fight. You know, he's a good fighter. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting, getting the recognition I deserve given my last five, five performances... Um, yeah, I believe, I honestly do believe that anybody goes in the ring in the opposite corner from me, I believe I'm beating them. You know, it could be 
I could be in, a, in there with a heavyweight and he's standing opposite corner, and I, I believe I'm going to win that fight. You know, it's, um, it doesn't matter who's in front of me. I, I believe my my ability and I believe my own ability and my my heart, my grit, determination. You know, there's there's absolutely no quitting me there. You know, I'd rather die in there than than I'd rather go out with my shield. You know, I'm, that's the kind of fighter I am. I'll leave it all in the ring, and I, I really do. I believe I can beat anybody when I'm on my A game, and especially boxing wise, when I when I decide to box and move, I don't believe there's anybody that can outbox me and and, and outsmart me when I when I decide to play like that. You know, it's, uh, I, I I tend to fight these fights on. Um, my terms, you know, I tend to go, right, that's it, I've had enough of boxing, I'm having a fight now. And, I, and then I start pushing the fight and I, I get torn into a bit more of a fight than I should have. And, um, but, you know, it makes for exciting fights, but yeah. it's just the way I am. But, you know, I, I really do believe when a boxer's, there's hardly anybody that can, that, that, that can beat me. That's why you're selling thousands of tickets up in Scotland, my friend, and uh, no doubt now around the world. Now, this kind of leads us, that attitude and the way, all the things that you've achieved so far kind of leads us now uh, to be on the cusp of something really, really special. We know that Jack Catterall, the WBO mandatory in, in this division, is going to step yeah. aside from uh, his fight with Jose Ramirez, which kind of clears the path for you and Jose to get together to bring yeah. this division together. Where are we at with those conversations? How far down the line are we? And do we have a target date in mind of when that will happen? There's not got a target date or anything yet. You know, I'm still, I'm still to hear from my management team, MTK, um, just to to see kind of what's happening you know I've kind of left it for the, the last couple of weeks um, but they did say you know they're in talks and they're saying it's looking for sort of the, the early part of next year so Excellent. I'm already back in the gym I'm already back training and you know just, just in case you know um, I'm already I'm already back training on that anyway so um, we're sort of expecting next year um, the early part of this year so uh, next year sorry and uh, you know yeah so just uh, take this opportunity as well to say also I thank you to Jack Carroll for you know agreeing to step aside and, and let this fight happen. You know, it's, uh, that, that was really good of him because I know for, if I was in that position, that would have been really hard for me to swallow and say no. Um, you know, being a being a, a fighter and, and obviously wanting to do my own thing, I would have wanted that fight. So I just want to say take this opportunity to thank Jack for that as well. Yeah, he was on he was on the show and he intimated that um a few weeks ago now and you like to say it's very generous spirited of him. Um, I, I I'm on the Josh Taylor hype train at the moment and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to make any bones about this. Josh, yeah, um, Jose, you and Jose Ramirez, I think is a is a very close fight. I mean, but I um you know I believe in you. I mean, you know I've I've come and visited you. You're the only I think you're the only boxer out of um out of the bubble that I've been to visit before you fought Appinson, um Consong rather Appinson. Um, you know, and, and it was great to see you. And I think there's a big change in you. Do you think, even though Kel Brook is challenging um, Terence Crawford uh, next weekend in Las Vegas, and Adam and I are doing tons on that next week, uh, heading into the show, we've had interviews with all of them. It's going to be spectacular. And Kel could pull, pull off a victory if he produces his best performance ever, and I mean ever for every second of every minute of every round. But I would love if you beat Jose Ramirez to go and find Terence Crawford and challenge him because I think you and him is a massive fight and that is your route to the top of the pound for pound list in my view. Would you take a fight with him? Yeah, I'd take a fight with uh, Crawford tomorrow. Um, you know, I, I, and I believe that I could beat him as well. I believe I can beat him as well. I don't think he's uh, unbeatable. Um, what about Kel against think, him next week? I think Kel is, everybody's writing him off. Um, I don't think anybody should write him off. You know, Kel is a very good fighter. 
He's massive for welterweight and he's a serious puncher as well. You know, um, people give him stick for the two fights that he's lost, but look at the two people that he lost against. You know, two mm. two absolute monsters. You know, two on so, the pound for pound list. They're there, man. Yeah, Errol Spence you know, and uh, Gennady. Yeah. Monsters. You know, and, um, and and took some serious damage in their fights as well, and and still did really well. You know, so um, I, I'm don't I'm not writing Kell off. You know, I think I think he can pull it off. Um, I think it will be a probably be a, a Crawford points win. Um, but I do think Kel gives him a run for his money, and, and especially at times gives him gives him a hard time. There might be um, an undisputed champion coming to your division soon, a Teofimo Lopez that obviously beat Vasil Lomachenko a couple of weeks ago. What did you make of that performance, Josh? Yeah, I thought it was very good. You know, um, it, it definitely. Um, you know, I, I was expecting Loma to come through that fight um, on points. You know, just I was expecting him to sort of just uh, outbox him and manoeuvre him and outsmart him um, but ultimately I think it was what was a, was a key factor to um, Lopez's win I think was um, the, the size difference ultimately the size difference and the weight difference as well mm. um, in the end you know Lopez looked massive compared to um, uh, Lomachenko on the night you know but having said that he, he was very smart with his tactics um, he, he come out you know and he beat Lomachenko with the jab and you know and he wasn't rushing Lomachenko he was being very patient so he was very nice and patient calm and collected and um, I just thought you know he did very well so yeah hats off he did very well You'd welcome him to Super Lightweight wouldn't you? Yeah of course you know if anybody wants to fight me I'll fight I'll, I'm more than happy to fight absolutely anybody so it's an, I'm, I'm not I'm no, uh, shying away from anyone or anybody, any fight, anywhere, any place. I'll fight everybody. I'm not scared of, to fight anyone, you know. So, um, I, I, whoever wants to fight, as long as everything's right, I'll fight them. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There you go. Josh Taylor speaking to us about the possibility of his upcoming fight with uh, Jose Ramirez. Fingers crossed we can get that signed off real soon and unify that super lightweight division. 
Uh, the UK got themselves a new world champion last weekend. Savannah Marshall picked up the WBO middleweight championship of the world. She joined us on the show at the weekend and she's chasing down Clarissa Shields. We had to wait for it because obviously everything that's going on in the pandemic with COVID tests and various things like that, the fight was pushed back with, with what have you. But when you put in a performance like last weekend, Savannah, which I've no doubt you worked hours in the gym, hours and hours are in the gym. And when you when it plays out in front of your eyes, punch perfect on the night. How satisfying is that? Oh, honestly, I couldn't. Like you just said there, for months and months, I was, I was fights were getting cancelled or were getting pushed back. And, and two weeks prior to that, my, uh, Peter, my coach, tested mm. positive for COVID. So then it, it was, for me, I was thinking, God, I'm even going to fight this year. And then for me, just to, it just, just felt like everything just worked out for the better. All the puzzle pieces fitted. Job was the the platform, the show, and um, yeah, it was just it was just crazy how everything worked out after so much heartbreak. Really. Mm. Now listen, this is no disrespect to anybody else on the car, but it was without doubt the performance of the night. So congratulations on that. And I know that once um, once the fight was over, the question started. Then didn't they? The microphone went straight in the face, and obviously Carissa Shields' name is mentioned on you. And I love the way that you dealt with it. You were straight on. Said, so listen, if she wants to tango, let's tango. However, we have heard this week that she's going to be fighting. I think the first week of December. She's teaming up with Dana White, the UFC president, because he's starting to get into the world of boxing. It's looking like Clarissa Shields is being lined up for some type of super fight with the UFC star Amanda Nunes, and they're pushing her towards maybe MMA and boxing. Is she running away from you, Savannah? What's going on, man? This is the fight that we want to see. Where's she going? Exactly. I told you. I told you in the interview she doesn't want none of me. Um, Yes, I I, I knew about that. But look, it's, it's do you know she makes her own choices, but I'm I'm confident that that fight will be around for a while because in boxing, you know, there's nowhere else for her to go. So she's got to go at that UFC down that UFC route. But um, yeah, I'm so I'm I'm even more confident that that uh, that the fight between me and Clarissa will come off in 2021. Speaking of WBO world titles, there's a vacant one in the cruiserweight division. Lawrence Sokoli is a man that will be fighting for it against Christoph Glowacki. The story of Akoli is absolutely unbelievable. He joined us on the show at the weekend to talk about it. Who would have thought, and I, I put this out on social media um, a couple of weeks ago once, uh, once this all was finalised, this fight with Christoph Glowacki. Who would have thought the conversations that we've had over the years, with your mm-hmm. with your journey in boxing from starting after watching the Olympics, obviously everybody knows where you were at working at the burger joint, flipping the burgers, to getting ourselves to this situation now where you're challenging for a world title. It is stuff of dreams, mate. It's a Rocky Balboa film. <laughs> you know, that. I, obviously I feel blessed. Um, one of my friends actually went past the old burger place that I was work, working at and um, sent me a picture of it today. Um, and it really hit home. You know, obviously... As you live life, you kind of just um, kind of progress and, and kind of sometimes forget. But um, you know that really brought it back to me. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's 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 amazing to kind of see the the journey that I'm on right now. And speaking of journeys, um, I think we're all extremely excited about you teaming up uh, with Shane and uh, the improvements that you've had to the game. Has, has it been? I know this is going to sound weird, but has the pandemic been kind of a blessing? that you can go into the shadows a little bit and work mm-hmm. at all the things that you need to work on in order to get the job done on the 12th of December? 
Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, um, it's it's, it's definitely given me a lot more time to work and, you know, connect with my coach, build a lot more trust. You know, there's already trust there, but even more just, you know, I think the main thing that's really helped me with is, you know, coming to to terms with the fact that I I have a world title shot and it's a big fight, as opposed to just being, oh, listen, you're you're going into it in, you know, a couple of months. It's been like, you know, a year of, you know what, Instead of it being exciting and, you know, uh, a big occasion, it's now it's like, you know, it's a formality. Go in there, do what you need to do. So I feel, I feel, I feel good. Good evening, Lawrence. How are you, Scarath? Oh, hi, Gareth. I feel good. Good. Um, this is a really big step up for you. I've been watching um, Christoph Glowacki, um, and that's, I think there's positives for you in this fight because he's quite easy to hit with the right hand, I think you'll agree. But there's other things about him that he's vastly experienced compared to you. But, yeah. but, it, but it, you know, we've spoken for a long time about this, but you have a very, and, and I've always backed it, you've, everyone talks about your awkward style. I think mm-hmm. your awkward style is a very good matchup for this guy. Do you not feel that? That you can tie yeah, him do. up a lot as well? I do, you know, when I watch um, his fights, I can see he's a good fighter, like, mm. it's clear, do you know what I'm saying? Um, I could see that he's a good fighter, but I just say to myself, you know what, stylistically, you know, um, my height, reach, yeah. um, from the inside, I think are all going to come into play, and, I, like, I'm hoping, obviously, as you do, you know, for it to be quite a dominant one-sided performance on my part, but, you know, I'm preparing for anything, but I really do see my, sort of, skill set kind of just nullifying and overwhelming he's did you sorry I thought you were going to go on there um, um, did, did you do you get Adam's um, point that that maybe lockdown has been a good thing for you that because you've always said to me I'm always going to be ready that's the way I am as a person that's the way I've been it's my mantra since I stepped between the ropes mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Or since, since I stepped away from the burger joint as Adam mentioned yeah. and, and you know you're going to take the most of every opportunity and that you are ready for this and at the beginning of lockdown you might not have expected it but it's here now yeah no I feel, I feel exactly what you're saying do you know what I mean like for me um, as I said the lockdown it's allowed me to really come to terms with everything, really um, work on certain techniques. And, and I think more so mindset, you know, a lot of people have the physical attributes to, to win fights or, you know, be in big fights, but they haven't got the mental to win. You know, you can put an identical person to myself um, in the ring, but if they think differently or, or their mentality is different, there's going to be a different outcome. So I think it's a major part is, you know, my mindset and, the time must help me to even improve on that. What have um, what have the kids been like in the local area to where you live, mate? Because you were inspired by the Olympics in 2012 and what AJ was doing, and that's kind of come full circle now. You know, people yeah. are watching you. The, the, the youths uh, are going uh, to be watching you and mm-hmm. thinking, man, this guy was doing this eight years ago, <laughs> and, and now look at him. You know, that's an incredibly powerful story. Yeah, and you know what? Once this part was announced, I think it really hit me. You know, obviously I have my own, you know, um, agendas for winning stuff and, you know, my own sort of, you know, um, mindset. But, you know, once the fight was announced, it really hit home, you know, with the amount of messages that I got of, you know, not just congrats, but like, of, mate, your story so inspirational to me. Even, you know, school teachers as well as school kids, you know, and it's like, because obviously I've been quite open with, you know, you know, certain stuff that I went through growing up and stuff. 
I think um, it makes it a little bit relatable to certain people. And, you know, that just that just urges me on with training and dieting and everything because, you know, I realise it's, it's bigger than just me, you know. Any bit of success that I'm able to get, you know, if it's able to motivate um, future kids, future stars, like, I'm waiting for my, you know, uh, guys, you know what? I used to watch Lawrence Coley and then that helped me. <laughs> it's happening, man. It might you happen I mean? on the 12th, you know? <laughs> Hopefully. That's all I can do is hope. And, you know, um, if there is a kid out there, I'm ready to support you. Just come through and tell me. Do you know what I'm saying? But, yeah, good. Good. <laughs> A man responsible for making that fight is, of course... Eddie Hearn, matchroom boxing supremo. Gareth A. Davis caught up with him earlier on last week to just touch upon everything in the world of boxing. They started by talking Usyk Chisora. Getting White Alexander Povetkin's off, what's going to happen with that? We're going to move that to January the 30th and then we're going to keep our Saturday 21st of November show as a Saturday night fight night, which uh, fans will be happy about. Uh, Connor Ben will headline in a great fight there and a, a lot of heavyweight the fights. Yeah, yeah, against uh, Famella. Famella, just sorry. Just the yeah. distance with Sean Porter. Yeah. a big step yeah. up for yeah. him and a lot of big heavyweight fights as well. I've got to be honest with you, Gareth. It's drama, drama, drama. You know, we're up against it in every sense of the word. But we're enjoying the challenge. You know, this is a challenge that we will hopefully never experience again. And there's two ways to look at it. You either sulk and moan and shut the doors or you, you know, open your shirt, you beat on your chest and you say, let's go. You know, and that's a no context home classic for, for, for the founder there. Um, but it's true, you know, you have to try and keep the momentum in the sport. I think actually our schedule, you know, starting from Usyk uh, Chisora to the end of the year is one of the strongest schedules we've ever finished with. We have no crowd. You know, you're talking about probably 40% of the revenue of a show gone, wiped away. What do you, um, in retrospect, after seeing Alexander Usyk's performance against Derek Chisora, what was your take on, on his first legitimate heavyweight performance? I think he's always going to be undersized as a heavyweight. You're right, styles make fights. Against a more technical fighter, he's probably going to be more effective. Against a rugged, durable brawler like Chisora, you know, it's going to take him a little bit of time to sort of get over that and, and, and adapt. What Usyk does so well is, he was under fire for three rounds, wasn't he? Just adapted. He didn't start... He was under yeah, but, pressure. But what he did was, he, was you know, he went from boxing off the back foot to actually controlling the middle of the ring and saying, I can't keep doing this because mm. I'm getting walked walk down. I'm getting beaten up at mm. times. So I need to stand my ground. He hurt Chisora badly in the seventh round. I don't think the big heavyweights will necessarily look at Usyk and say, oh, this guy's a danger. But what he is, he's going to be very difficult to beat because the only way Usyk's going to get beaten is when it's almost not on a level playing field. I mean, it is because once you reach that weight at heavyweight, you know, it's 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 all in, isn't it? But the only way he's going to get beaten, he couldn't get beaten at cruiserweight. No one's going to beat him at cruiserweight. But as he fights the bigger man, you know, who has the sharp combinations, you know, the power, the speed, the movement himself, then it's going to get very difficult for him. But what Chisora did well, you can let these fighters like Lomachenko and like Usyk dictate the pace and just keep you thinking, keep you thinking, and they drain you. Tony Bell, you said it. You know, see, after six rounds, I was exhausted because I was looking at his feet. You know, he was using his right hand to sort of take me off my rhythm. Chisora showed no respect for that. Yeah. And as a heavyweight, what you can't do if you're AJ and go in there and start boxing and fencing with Usyk, you have to show him no respect. You have to walk him down, you have to back him up, and you have to try and beat him up. The one disadvantage Usyk has is he doesn't carry, carry the heavyweight artillery of 
you know, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, you know, these big hit heavyweights. Paul Tyson Fury comes to no, that. He's a 19-stone yeah, man. True. You know, you know and, he knocked and, Wilder about, didn't he? Yeah, so, for sure. So, you know, that's... But what he has got is bundles of skill, great movement, tremendous feet, and he's a danger. You know, I'm... I'm I think Alexander Usyk's going to give every heavyweight in the in the world mm. a tough, tough fight. So, you know, be interesting to see how that plays out in 2021. You mentioned just now to me, uh, before I started recording with the audio, that Conor Ben's going to headline um, the, the, the white Povetkin mm -hmm. card now. Joshua and Pulev, have you, you know, is the decision made on how it goes ahead, where it goes ahead? Um, you're going to carry on at Wembley Arena, I understand. You're yeah, not going to go well, to the O2. We haven't completely decided yet, but you know, the thought behind going to the O2 was to try and get four or 5,000 people in there. Obviously, that was pre-lockdown. We'll still keep pushing for that, but it does start to look unlikely. If we can't get a crowd, you know, we've taken over Wembley Arena for six weeks, it would make sense to place that fight in there. It's, we've, we're fully built and mm -hmm. we've got a great system in place. But, you know, literally, it's event by event by event at the moment. You know, mm -hmm. we are... Alexander, uh, sorry, Alexander Povetkin got COVID, you know. Then on the same day, someone else got cut. Then that next morning, someone else got injured and then you replace the fight. So literally at the moment, you know, you are just, anything can happen. So I'll probably finish this interview, go in the office, there'll be another fight falling through. You make another one. You know, he goes for his COVID test on Friday, fails his test. You now we've got a show in Florida this week with Devin Haney against Eurokis Gamboa. They all tested yesterday, the entire card negative. You know, it is just, you know, boxing gives you the greatest highs, but it also can kick you in the proverbials at any time. Normally, there is a 5% chance that on fight week, you may lose a fight. Mm. Now, there's a 50% chance, mm. you know? So actually, you just have to keep smiling and laughing because the other day when we had three fights fall through, in the end, I just started laughing to myself. And I said, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So, you know, just solve the short-term problems, keep going, but we must keep the momentum of the sport going. Um, one of your golden peacocks in America, you mentioned there, Devin Haney, mm. fantastic fighter in a really sexy lightweight division now where you could pick eight people and have an eight-man tournament that would be better than anything in the world yeah. almost. It's virtually the strongest uh, weight class, I think, now. Obviously, Yuri Orkis Gamboa, very experienced. Um, he lost Terence Crawford and Javonta Davis last time out. Mm -hmm. Is this an opportunity on Saturday for Devon to show his wares, you know, when there's going to be a big audience mm -hmm. watching this? For sure. I think that people just presume that Devin Haney is the next Floyd Mayweather, but he's never boxed anyone at the levels of Eurokis Gamboa. And actually, last time out, although he damaged his shoulder, he didn't look great. So, you know, for people to say after tank Javonta Davis struggling with Gamboa really let's be honest I mean Gamboa ruptured his Achilles in the second round he mm. went 12 rounds to the 12th round with tank and had a lot of success I think this is a massive test for Devin Haney you know and and it's a bigger test because I know Devin Haney he will want to set the world alight on Saturday mm. do you know what I mean he won't just want to go out there and you know get the victory he wants to make a statement he wants you and the fans to say Haney can beat Lopez Haney can beat tank because they're the mega fights in 2021. Next weekend, uh, the weekend after this, you've got, I think this is again, you're breaking new ground. You've mm. got Ebony Bridges coming over from Australia, uh, Rachel Ball, you've got um, Miriam Gutierrez challenging Katie, Katie Taylor, Taylor, Terry Harper. Against Terry Harper. Manager, yeah. I mean, does it please you to be able to put something historic on as well during this time? I don't think I can ever remember. I don't think there's ever been three women's no, world no, titles. No, I don't think there's card, been two. There? I, I, don't, I mean, there probably has been two, but not very frequently. But this is just shows you where women's boxing has still got a long way to go. Mm. I've seen a couple of articles lately about, you know, oh, some of the women aren't getting paid as much as the men. It has nothing to do with that. Each fight 
is based upon the commercial value of each fight. And right now, some women's world title fights have the same commercial value as a good men's British world title fight. Do you know what I mean? So mm. you've got the stars that are earning considerable purses, Katie Taylor, Clarissa Shields, Brackhouse, you know, even Terry Harper going to those, those kind of levels now. But there's still a long way to go. Next week will show us where we're at. There you go. That's all the modern day boxing taken care of. I think it's fair that we finished this week's podcast with a trip down memory lane. All the way back, 1987. April is the month I'm taking you to. Caesars Palace, the location for Hagler versus Leonard. The super fight. The first fight that generated over $100 million in revenue. Brian Dugan, award-winning writer, has written a book on that. It's out now. You can get it. I'll give you all the details in a moment or so. But he joined me on the show at the weekend to talk about the book. Of all the fights that you have covered in your illustrious career, why have you chosen this particular fight uh, to write a book about? That's a great question. Um, and to be honest, I'm, I'm quite surprised in a way that uh, it hasn't been done to this extent before. Uh, there was a book written by a guy, Steve Marantz, a uh, former Boston Globe writer, and he did get into the kind of story. But, but uh, I felt there was a bit more to tell in terms of the fighters' backgrounds, as you alluded to, Adam. Uh, it's just fascinating, uh, the two guys, and what you spoke about there in terms of uh, the careers of four men, of whom these were two integral parts, Sugar Ray Leonard and Marvelous Marvin Hagler. You also had Thomas the Hitman Hearns, you had the hands of stone reverted to ram. Between the four of them, they engaged in nine absolutely compelling fights throughout the whole of the decade. But the centerpiece fight for me was Hagler Leonard because Marvin Hagler had beaten Tommy Hearns and reverted to ram, and Sugar Ray Leonard had done the same. And, an, and there almost had to be that box off between the pair of them. But of course, circumstances meant that when they might have thought earlier in the decade, it didn't happen. And it was late in the decade, perhaps when both men were, were actually past their, their prime, their absolute peak, when they actually did collide. But it was still a, a stunning encounter that captured the imagination of the world. It was the first $100 million super fight. Mm. And to this day, it spawns debate and controversy among boxing fans of a certain vintage who would recall, recall the, the, the fight quite easily. You just mentioned, obviously, the Four Kings there. And for, for our younger listeners, and I don't want to do anybody a disservice because I'm sure that they are well-versed on the world of boxing, but just talk to me about, between those Four Kings, the, the weight disparities because we had a king at lightweight, really, didn't we? And then we had, obviously, the welterweight king and we had guys competing at middleweight and they all managed uh, in some way, shape or form to meet each other and come to some type of compromises on those weight disparities to get the big fights on for the fans. Absolutely. Uh, Marvin Hagler was the one who never changed weight class. Uh, Barry Tompkins, uh, the former HBO commentator, now works with Showtime, he used to say that, uh, he used to describe him as a man born at middleweight. And, uh, <laughs> um, and it kind of, it kind of uh, fitted Hagler very well. But, but you're right. I mean, Roberta Duran, you know, I mean, Leonard and, and Hagler are, are, are the two most fascinating individuals for me. Roberta Duran, however, I mean, in, in terms of true boxing fans, and indeed, among the boxers themselves, he's the ultimate fighter's fighter. He was just this raw kid from a slum in Panama City. And he had 
ruled the lightweights for a decade. He beat Ken Buchanan almost at the beginning of the 1970s. And it was mm. 1980 before he actually got into the ring with Ray Leonard at welterweight. Mm. So, of course, as you say, they, they, they actually all climbed. And Leonard was, uh, was a welterweight uh, throughout his career. He jumped up to light middleweight. Uh, never went as far as middleweight until he actually made this grand comeback, which uh, people thought he was out of his mind for even attempting uh, mm-hmm. because he had been five years out of the ring when he came back to fight Hagler um, uh, with just one fight, which in which he was very unimpressive against Kevin Howard. And you had Thomas Hearns as well, who was, you know, he was uh, 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 an almost freakish uh, welterweight, six foot one and a half, and uh, arms like pistons, and a devastating punch at welterweight. And of course, as you know well, Adam, he was able to uh, rise through the divisions and ultimately fight at light heavyweight, even at cruiserweight. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they did all collide in the middle division, even, as you say, uh, Duran, who, uh, who was the smallest of the four. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, but he just had that uh, just raw aggression in him, but also fantastic technique. And, uh, and, and, and they just brought... Uh, not only, uh, you know, they, they brought glamour and glitz, but they, but, they, but they brought true grit as well. And that's what made them so, so compelling in their art at that time. Out of Hagler and Leonard, whose story are you more fascinated with? It, it's really interesting. That's, that, that's why I thought it was worth doing, because it's only in recent years that we've really got to know uh, Ray, beyond the veneer of the, the all-American kids, the yeah. hero, the man who was the golden boy. Um, you know, Hagler would suggest he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. <laughs> Compared to Hagler's upbringing, he was. Mm. But, but that's not true, you know, in terms of Ray Leonard was, a, was from a very working-class uh, background as well. But, but, you know, he had this kind of uh, aura around him and it was, almost, it was almost too good to be true, and it was. I mean, uh, Ray uh, brought out his memoir about seven, eight years ago, very candid, uh, spoke about his alcoholism, spoke about his abuse of cocaine, and spoke about sexual abuse, which, which no one had, had known about uh, until that moment. So it was actually, there was, there was a, a much deeper character there that was well worth exploring anew, I felt. But in terms of the two, in terms of their background, I honestly think that Marvin Hagler growing up in Central Ward, Newark, New Jersey, at the time of race riots in the late 1960s in America, quite mm. reminiscent of what the country has been going through very recently too. Mm. But at that time, he, he grew up in Central Ward, which was notorious. And there were uh, 27 people killed during a five-day period in which, in which the city was just a crucible. Um, and, and race was at the root of, of, of the problem in the city and uh, uh, over a thousand people injured for three days he and his family uh, were in there were trapped in their apartment building and their mother his mother Ida May told all of the kids that for, for the duration of the three days they would remain on the floor and there was very good reason because if you went to the window you stood a chance of being shot by a National Guardsman or a policeman as some of the victims were and uh, so, so I just felt in terms, of, uh, in terms of Marvin, who was this loner, um, whose who solitude, you know, he had this kind of prison environment that he secluded himself in in Provincetown when he became this great champion. But he was a loner all his life. 
and it, and it emanates from this really hard, tough upbringing in a city that became just a, a, a crucible at that time uh, of racial unrest. And I felt that that was really worth exploring because uh, The Four Kings have been written about. George Kimball wrote a, an mm. excellent book, but he hadn't explored to, to the same depth that hopefully I have been able to go into uh, that background of Hagler's, which I think is integral to knowing why he became the great champion he was. It's, it's the characters that you've managed to explore uh, in the Superfight book, and I encourage anybody listening to this to most certainly get their hands on it, especially if you're a big fan of the greats, because you're right in what you've said there. The, the thing that I love about covering this sport, of course, the fight nights are great, and you go there and we're all here for, for, for watching uh, the athletes perform at their very, very best, but it's the characters for me. It's the stories. It's the places that they've come from. Hagler's story is absolutely captivating, as you've caught in this book, but the thing that took my breath away from knowing a little bit about the memoirs of Ray Leonard and what you put in this, in this particular piece. Growing up as a kid, my dad was a big fan of Ray Leonard. So therefore, all the stories were always positive and shiny. Like you've said, the All-American Kid, the Olympian, that's the, that's the only thing I kind of knew about him. And obviously, I've watched the fights and what have you. But then hearing about this darker side, the troubles that he's had, the, the alcoholism, the cocaine abuse, and obviously uh, the sexual abuse that he suffered at the hands of a coach and what have you, that kind of fleshes out the character even more it makes my respect for him even even more because it makes him more human i don't know if you i don't know if you feel like that because i had him on a pedestal you know what i mean and he's he, he became more human when i knew more more things about him i agree with you completely uh, adam and, that, and that's actually you know why i felt it was worth visiting and you know in this kind of depth to kind of tell the story of both men again uh, as well as tell the story of the fight because i agree with you completely you know while while we are drawn to the ringside because of uh, just the uh, heroic nature of, of what these guys are able to do. Very often it's, it's, it's the stories about the guys, it's, it's, it's their backgrounds that, that is utterly compelling and, 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 and I think that's why you, uh, you establish particular allegiance with one guy or another. You know, uh, Marvin Hagler was the quintessential working class blue collar champion. He really was. Uh, I mean, he was uh, just the poster boy for that. Um, Ray, you're absolutely right. He had this, he had this image, um, and of course, you know, uh, we've we, we've seen it probably throughout history in terms of uh, Olympians. Um, they kind of have this uh, image attached to them, and uh, and and Ray cultivated that. He was very good at using that, and of course, uh, which which became central to to how he trapped Hagler in the end. Mm. Uh, in terms of financially, it was very good for him, and he tapped into that uh, greatly. But, but as you say, there was something deeper to him, and I, I, and, I, and I always felt that. And, and one of my former colleagues, Hugh Michael Vanny, on the Sunday Times right. um, and the Observer as well, and he he spoke about this hardship of ice that was buried deep in in Ray's fighting heart. You know, a terrible darkness. Uh, he described that he must have endured to fuel you know, some of these performances. Because, you know, Ray Leonard was this flashy type uh, guy. He was, the, uh, he was the guy who would, uh, you know, throw the bolo punches and all of that. But when you got right down to it, for instance, when he fought Tommy Hearns, you know, the, 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 the famous hitman and the hitman persona, and he absolutely blasted guys out of there. Mm. Uh, but when, it, when you got down to the nitty gritty, the real hard man in the ring, 
when it was Tommy Hearns and Ray Leonard was Ray Leonard. You know, he was a he was an absolutely mean monster himself. But he was driven by these by these demons. And I always felt, in terms of uh, uh, the ninth round, uh, you know, we 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 can talk about the fight a little bit, I guess. Uh, uh, but you know the early rounds, Hagler kind of almost gave away. By the middle rounds, he's, he's he's coming into it, coming on strong. In the ninth round, Leonard gets trapped in his own corner, and people at ringside uh, felt that this was the moment. Hagler was now going to just bludgeon his man away, as he had uh, every uh, every man he had faced for eleven years. He was unbeaten for the previous eleven years, mm. and and undaunted, undaunted during. Uh, uh, much of that time. He destroyed people like Tommy Hearns, uh, Alan Minter, as we know. But in the ninth round, he has, he has Leonard trapped in the corner. And, and rather than cave in, as was almost expected when you saw this unfold, Leonard somehow managed to fight his way out of the corner twice, throwing, you know, just searing bursts of punches. And I always... I always wanted to know, like, what, what what could drive a man to do that when you're in mm. when you're in that moment when you're trapped against this dominant, fearsome character? I mean, he he destroyed people. I mean, his fight yeah. against Tommy Hearns just drew the breath away. Uh, but but somehow Leonard had just that fortitude within him, uh, and it was interesting to explore then why he might have that in him. Uh, there you go, little stocking filler for Christmas for you. If you're a big boxing fan or you know a big boxing fan. Get them that book. You will not go far wrong. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. There'll be loads of stuff coming up next week as we build up towards Crawford versus Brook. Can Kel Brook become a two-time welterweight world champion? You'll hear from him, Crawford and Bob Arum on next week's podcast or next week's show if you join us live. So make sure you do that on Saturday night on TalkSport. But failing it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast iTunes is the destination or via talksport.com. We'll catch you next time. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.